We hope you enjoy Ernest Zevon by PC Detman. If you really like this podcast, the best way to support us is to buy and read the ebook for Kobo or Kindle. Also available as a paperback. Chapter 4 It was his clock which had roused Ernest at the hour of ten, giving him ten minutes to wake up, ten to shower and ten to dress. The next thing he knew, the doorbell went. He needed more practice. He hauled himself up in bed, hand-combed his hair, hopped into the nearest pair of jeans, pressed the buzzer to let Georgia up, and pulled on a crumpled shirt. He was up and awake, and that much would be enough to surprise her. You're up! She was dressed casually, also in jeans and a white blouse. Her affliction for crisp white shirt was a kind of signature style, and it worked so well with her black bob and cherry lips. They were colleagues now, an office romance was too big a risk for their partnership, and for his own ability to keep everything on an even keel. He shrugged as though his punctuality had never been in doubt. What's on your mind? she asked. Just the music, trying to remember enough of it for tonight, he said, and shuffled over to the piano. He still had a real one, cheaper to run, more comfortable to play, and way more cool than her electric. Let's go. They played for hours, stopping only for coffee. Longer than four hours, past lunch and long into the afternoon, It was effortless and majestic, and everything it should be to make music alongside another person. Ernest's lateness had not left him time to call up the restaurant manager. This practice was a waste of time without a gig to showcase it. He forced his mind to jump around, looking for a subject to distract himself with. He cast his mind back to the dreamcatcher on George's mantelpiece. He wondered if it caught dreams or nightmares, and if it worked. He hadn't heard of the concept before, and she had solemnly declared its purpose such that he felt it impossible to express his scepticism. Was it an old superstition? He felt better able to ask these things today, in his own place, and safely removed from the device itself. The dreamcatcher, he said. Does it work? She didn't shrug or roll her eyes as she might have done. Yes, it does. How do you know? I just do. It works. Really. He figured she was operating on some kind of deeper plane than his, a metaphysical one, or some kind of theory or philosophy that she kept to herself. I don't ask flippantly, he said. I'm curious. I guess I'm a natural sceptic. I thought you would be. I think most people are. Do you know anything about it, or its origins? He shook his head. It's a Native American idea, but I didn't know that at first because other religions have similar ideas. Actually, mine is an English pagan one. It catches and keeps the good dreams and protects you from nightmares. It brings luck and fortune, as you can tell. Maybe it brought me here. And you believe all that stuff? Well, these are hard subjects to be talking about after such a rehearsal. We should be thinking about the big show tonight. Do you think we can pull it off? He held up his palms. She was asking all the wrong questions. We have enough songs now, just about. Let's do the whole set again and then eat. He agreed, but he sensed she was changing the subject despite her protests. So tell me, what's your pre-gig routine like, she asked, around six o'clock. Was she smiling because she knew he didn't have one? Get there early, like five minutes before. Order a drink, drink it, sing. That's it, really. As it's our first night, let's get there an hour early so I can walk around, she said. I want to soak it up a bit first. It's home ground for you, of course. Sure, fine. 
and let's get some proper dinner on the way. It's going to be a long night. Food? No way. I mean, I don't normally eat first. Nerves, I guess. Or booze. Then come and watch me eat, said Georgia, but you should eat before a performance. Less room for drink, give you energy, those human things. If you don't know anywhere, we'll eat at the venue. She was making the whole thing sound like a business meeting. He sensed this was deliberate. She was showing up for work and was going to make sure she had high energy, sussed out the venue and put her mind at rest before the show. He put it down to an experience. She had every right to be nervous. Once she had played the same place on the same two nights for five or ten years, she would be more relaxed about it. He would play along for her sake. Well, there's a pie shop a few doors down from the venue, he said, although he didn't expect her to be into pies much. They're top-notch, not the usual eyelids encased in granite. And as she was being so businesslike, he added, By the way, I don't actually have a gig tonight. She went quiet, but no visible signs of shock. I thought... You you mean it really was your last night? He nodded slowly. And you didn't ask after I left? He shook his head even more slowly, like he was diffusing a bomb. And this morning, you didn't... As he believed she knew, he had not. When had he the time? To her credit, Georgia did not even sigh. We'd better get over there now and meet your guy. And that was it. They went. She had just become his business manager. They found a manager eating at the bar. It was a little after five, during that graveyard period when the shift switched around. Lots of staff coming and going, not many customers around. He was shoving chicken wings into his throat in a rush. The appearance of Ernest alongside stopped him in his tracks. Evening, Ferguson, said Ernest. The man's mouth hung loose as he considered a response. I thought... Ernest just held up a hand. Look, I know what you said. I just wanted to ask if you had someone on tonight to replace me. Not your problem anymore. Well, have you? Who's this? The manager, Ferguson, jabbed a wing in George's direction. She's my new musical partner. She plays saxophone and brings a whole new feeling. I thought maybe, if you hadn't got anyone, you could give us a shot, see how it goes. Nice to meet you, Mr. Ferguson, said Georgia. I've heard such good things about you. Nice restaurant. She held out a hand, undeterred by his hands. They were stained with barbecue sauce or something equally sticky. Ferguson wiped his hands on a napkin, ran it around his mouth and swallowed. Ernest could virtually hear the man making some calculations. Why don't I just hire you, he asked, possibly to himself. Because we're a package deal, Mr Ferguson, and I'm too busy blowing this trumpet to sing much. She tapped her saxophone case. Just one night, that's all. It didn't sound like much of a risk to Ernest. He was, after all, here and earlier than he had ever been before. Ferguson sighed. One night, one night. Okay. As they played the final notes of their final first set song, Ernest did something spontaneous that surprised himself. He stood at the piano, walked back to Georgia and hugged her tight. He gestured that she should receive her applause at the front of the stage. They took a bow or two, holding hands as though they were in the West End Theatre and not a fairly low-grade jazzy bistro in Soho. He felt on top of the world. As he stood there, not having ever stood before this crowd in all the years he had been playing for them, he felt humbled. He cast his eyes left and right and back again. They had never done this for him. This wasn't for him at all. And yet, and yet hadn't he given this girl her break? Something wasn't right at all. She had made this happen.
His next thought, standing there like an old hand in repertory, holding her hand to stop his legs giving way, tears welling unbidden in his eyes, was that however undeserving this was, he was part of it. Their best songs were the duets, but now that her nerves were conquered they would have to revamp their set list. This was just the icebreaker. If this reaction was more than just a fluke, his fee could only increase. They could leave this dive behind and find higher-end gigs in bigger venues, hire their own band even, but he was getting carried away. He pulled her close, gave her an unselfconscious kiss on the cheek and led her to the bar. The second half could only be better than this. He would order her an old-fashioned, a thank-you note in a glass. All that for their first set, and their pared-back version of Higher Love was yet to come. Ernest selected his favourite bartender to mix his favourite cocktail, the classic old-fashioned with Maker's Mark. She always promised it in nine minutes, never ten, and she made it with a real sugar lump. He insisted that Georgia sit on a stool next to him and watch for the entire nine-minute performance, for it was a performance of a kind. Georgia was still catching her breath, her brow glistening and her cheeks flushed crimson with exertion. She seemed relieved to have an excuse to sit quietly, her back to the crowd. Nine minutes? For a drink? He simply indicated her to watch and wait. The heavy crystal tumbler was finally placed in front of her. A raised eyebrow was all it took to prove she liked it. Drambuie, she said. Tasty. He slammed his own glass down. Drambuie? Different ballpark. Well, it's very nice, thanks. Let's order another one now, or we won't have time, and one's not enough. You've got your sea legs back now, I can see. I could feel your confidence up there. How long has it been? It was 2008 or so. Six, seven years ago, she gulped. For how many people? I think it was just under 80,000. He stopped drinking, his tumbler suspended in midair. Come again? Glastonbury, it was real, man. Let's go, I'll see you on stage. Georgia stood up, leaving him at the bar. He watched her over his shoulder. Glastonbury. It was clear she had no intention of talking about it until they'd finished the show, so he waited for the fresh drinks and took them onto the stage. They would start five minutes early and be able to talk five minutes sooner. They would start with Road to Nowhere and finish with Fleetwood Mac's Don't Stop, the version taken from the dance tour with her sax replacing the brass trumpets of the USC marching band. If their first set had impressed, the second half would be the start of a reputation. Even Ernest, so used to playing this crowd on autopilot asleep, or at least drunk at the wheel, wanted to savour every moment of the second half. He relaxed at the piano, looking up from the keys for the first time in years, daring to think about a full support band, backing singers, the works, his imagination running riot as his fingers ran rampant over the keys. Glastonbury, oh boy, oh boy, Georgia was one to keep an eye on. Momentarily unaffected by envy... Paranoia, or all his other afflictions that bedeviled his quotidian existence, he enjoyed performing without nerves. So what if he had never played an arena? That didn't change what was happening here tonight, and she had chosen him for her comeback. Him. He had relaunched George's career. That was how he would tell the story if anyone asked. He had chosen the songs, auditioned and coached her. He would take the credit where it was due, and it was certainly due now. They would take the curtain calls together, but he was proud that this was his night, his crowd and his name on the chalkboards. It was his home turf. The drinks warmed his thoughts and lubricated his fingers as they powered through the second half towards the grand finale.
The calls for encore didn't die down for many minutes. Sure, they were deemed middle-of-the-road tracks these days, especially by the young crowd, but there were a good mix of age groups there, all over 30, and Ernest felt that he'd put enough of himself into the songs. Plenty of improv, a few instrument changes, turning up the vocals, changing a few lines, all the old tricks. Who knew what they could do with some proper rehearsal time? And with a band, maybe. Some original tracks could be slipped in. There was no stopping his ambition now. His thoughts ran wild. Finally, the break had come. It was all there for the taking. Oh yes, and why not Wembley? Ferguson was waiting at the bar for them with a bottle of fine champagne. Amazing, he said. Where has he been hiding you? He asked rhetorically of Ernest's new sax player. The audience was still applauding and whistling. You can't leave yet, he protested. Here, he handed Georgia the champagne. Could you do just a couple of songs again? I mean, just two, that's all. Otherwise I'll have to throw these people out. Please. Ernest glanced at Georgia. He felt like he had enough energy to do both halves of the entire show again. These nights were so rare, you didn't waste them. Georgia nodded. You know which songs, Ernest, the three with the most sacks, right? Three, and all the sacks they could take. Her confidence was back and so was his. He took her arm and led her back under the spotlights. They would make this unforgettable. One of those nights people will recall with the phrase, Where were you when? Like, for example, Where were you when the Buzzcocks played the Free Trade Hall? That sort of question. (laughs) 